You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our first reading this morning comes from the Old Testament, from Psalm 69. For the director of music, to the tune of lilies of David. Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, O Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers an alien to my own mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor. In your great love, O Lord, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me and from deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned disgraced and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comfort, comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise His captive people. Let heaven and earth praise Him the seas and all that move in them, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. 
Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. We'll also turn to the New Testament, to John 17, the verses 1 through 5. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Our text this morning comes from John chapter 19, the verses 28 through 30. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Beloved congregation of our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't know the events that surrounded David as he wrote Psalm 69. David himself leaves us with no historical details. There's nothing in the the script under the heading. We don't know what exactly was going on We do know, however, from that psalm, Psalm 69, that the experience that David was going through was a very difficult one. He describes it in the very first verse. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. He says, I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. Anyone who has done some canoeing knows what it is to step out of your canoe or your boat and step into a river or the edge of a lake and where you think there's going to be some solid ground, but as you step into the water, very quickly you realize that you were wrong and suddenly your feet and then your ankles and then your knees all the way up sometimes to your hips plunge into the mire at the bottom, below the water, at the bottom of the lake. Very quickly, your whole body can become stuck. You can move only at a snail's pace. In fact, even to try and take a step forward many times is working against you, and you only get more and more caught up into the mud. Now, it's one thing to do that when you're in ankle-deep water, holding on to a canoe, It's an entirely different experience to have that when you are in chest-deep water. Suddenly, your feet are stuck in the mud and the water is rising above your head. That's the experience that David likens the time that he is going through to. 
The water is rising. His feet are sinking. The end is near. And every movement that he makes to try and fight against what is happening to him only seems to make it worse. He says, I am in deep waters. I am drowning in a flood. His sufferings are threatening him. They're real. They're nearly suffocating him. His troubles are leaving him feeling disoriented and endangered. What is it in David's life that's making him feel this way? Is it Saul chasing him? Is it Absalom turning on him? Is it Joab abandoning him? We don't know. But we know that his suffering was real. He says, my body is worn out. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. I'm seeking help, he says, but I cannot find it. My eyes are almost worn out from watching. He has almost no strength with which to move on. Added to this, David says in verse 5, he knows his own guilt. He knows his own folly. Yes, David is being hounded unjustly, but yet he acknowledges that he too shares in sin and guilt. You know my guilt. You know my folly. He knows his weakness and his desires that his sin and his weakness and his guilt would not leave others to be put into shame. He is drowning and he fears that others seeing him drown are going to sin and despair because of him. Those experiences of suffering that David recounts in Psalm 69, which we've read and taken on our lips even as we sang to God, are real. They are real. And as David speaks, as he records this psalm, he records this psalm for all of God's children to take upon their lips when they go through suffering. The book of Psalms is the song book of the church. These words have been recorded for us that we might know that we can take these words on our lips as we go through suffering, when our feet are plunging into the mud, when the water's rising up to our head. The Holy Spirit, through the, the pen of David, helps us to express our sorrows and our laments. This psalm is a lament. It's a cry from the heart to God in the midst of suffering. And brothers and sisters, you know, don't you, that this life is a veil of tears. The Holy Spirit has inspired these words that we might call to God in the midst of, of grief or conflict or pain or persecution as David is experiencing here. And you can cry out to the God of salvation for help. 
Yes, David has written these words for us. But David has not only written these words for us. He's not only written these words for the Christian to pray. He has also recorded these words as the very words of the anointed king who was to follow him. His great son. The one who would suffer immensely under the attacks of enemies. Enemies who are no weak and feeble enemies, but enemies like Satan. And all his forces of evil and darkness. Enemies like sin and death. Enemies who will cause him to suffer over the whole time that he lives on earth, but especially at the end as his time comes and he heads toward the cross. Jesus Christ is the one who will be persecuted immensely and who will receive suffering, who will be beat, who will be humiliated, and who will face rejection. Who will receive these from the forces of evil, from Satan, from sinful men. And he will even be forsaken by the eternal God, His eternal Father Himself. These words of Psalm 69 are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as He suffered upon this earth. Think about that for a moment. These words of David are the words that we can take on our lips as we suffer. These words of David are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as He suffered. If you connect the dots, you see that the Lord Jesus Christ is taking the place of all of those who suffer in this life. This is the great message of the Bible. This is why, as we come to church, we gather together, we're going to sing songs of praise on the day in which Jesus Christ died. That is why we do all this. Because Jesus Christ suffered and died for us. He experienced the sufferings of this life of sin and of death. And He experienced them for us. Jesus Christ is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 who took upon Himself our infirmities, our sorrows. And yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him, and afflicted. Jesus Christ is the Passover Lamb whose blood separates God's people for salvation. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of Atonement, the One upon whom all the sins of the people are placed and who who then carries those sins before the throne of God where His blood is shed to make atonement, a life for a life. The sins of all God's people put upon Him, the Passover Lamb. Jesus Christ came and He suffered and He died as our replacement. He was put to death. He died in the place of sinners. 
And so it is that we come to our text this morning. And we see Jesus, as John records for us, knowing all that was, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus Christ knows that he has come as the suffering servant, as the Passover lamb, as the lamb of atonement. He knows that he has come for this purpose. He is aware of it. The scriptures spoke about him. They pointed toward him. And he has come for just such a purpose as this. And he knows that. And John is very careful to show us that Jesus Christ knew what his mission was on this earth. That Jesus was self-consciously fulfilling the role that the Scriptures and God through the Scriptures had given him to fulfill. He was the only one who could do it. He knew that he was doing it. And as we see in our text this morning, he did it for us. Specifically, what John is referring to in this passage is the words of David in Psalm 69. David said, my throat is parched because of my sufferings. Jesus says on the cross, I'm thirsty. I am thirsty. Think of the impact. Think of what sits behind those words. Here is the Son of God reduced to such a place that he cannot, yes, he will not, provide himself a thirst-quenching drink of water. He who created the world, who separated the waters from the waters, he who caused the water to flow out from a rock for the people of Israel in the desert, who gave them water when they thirsted, cannot give himself water when in the midst of his sufferings, he thirsts. He's now parched and thirsty His sufferings are real. He is truly human. And the experience of his agony is real and it is severe. In further fulfillment to Psalm 69, someone nearby Jesus gives him a drink of wine mixed with vinegar. David had said in Psalm 69, Scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. The wine vinegar that was given to Jesus here was most likely the drink that was used by soldiers as they went out uh, on, on mission or that was drank by the poor who couldn't drink straight wine, they would mix it with vinegar in order to quench their thirst. And so as he sits on the cross, the king of the universe drinks the cheap wine that was reserved only for the destitute and soldiers on the frontier. But yet this act of giving the wine and vinegar to Jesus was more an act of cruelty than mercy. It was more an act of cruelty than mercy, just like David had spoken of in Psalm 69. The only effect that this 
wine vinegar would have had for Jesus enough to fill a sponge and for him to drink. It wouldn't have quenched his thirst, but it would have perhaps given him a greater awareness and vitality. It would have perked him up a little bit. The effect of which would have only been to prolong his agony and suffering. Someone hears that he thirsts, and as a cruel joke, he gives him some of this to drink. And so the sufferings of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came in fulfillment to the Scriptures, fill up. But we should not suppose that even as he hung on the cross, our Lord was powerless in all of this. He had come for just such a time as this. He had come to this point in willing and loving obedience to his Father. He was not caught up in a, in a, in a wave, in a storm that was throwing him to and fro that he didn't know where he was going. No, he had come to earth to go to just this place, though he felt like he had been caught up in a, in a, a river, in a torrent of a river. He knew that this river had been brought by his heavenly father. All of the Gospels make clear that Jesus knew that he would be handed over to the authorities to be punished and killed. In John 17, the Lord Jesus himself reveals this. As he prays, he says, Father, the time has come. And he says in verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. This is the work that the Father has given Jesus to do. And other passages in the same book of John speak about this willingness of Jesus to see the plan of God carried out to completion. John 4, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In John 5, he had said, I have testimony greater than that of John for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And so as the Lord Jesus hangs there on that cross, under extreme suffering and duress, yes, even enduring rejection and forsakenness from His own eternal Father, He knows that the sin-atoning work, the work of atoning for the sins of God's people, the work of defeating death through that atonement is nearly done. What no other man could have dreamed of or hoped to accomplish is being accomplished as Jesus' life comes to its end. And even as his life comes to its end, Jesus remains powerfully in control. He is in control. Even as he goes through all of this suffering, Jesus is in control. What love would consciously endure all of this pain and suffering for sinners like us? David expressed in Psalm 69 a feeling of of drowning and of sinking, of disorientation, of pain and of suffering in order to say, God, help me out of this. But Jesus consciously 
and intentionally went through all of that by his own choice, by his own will, out of love for his heavenly father and love for all of God's chosen ones. Here is Jesus, powerful, in control, accomplishing the last great act that the Father had given him to accomplish. In John 10, Jesus had said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus knew what he was doing. And he remained in complete control of what he was doing up to the point as we read in verse 30. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What makes that so special? That Jesus has given up his life. Well, it shows that that love expressed on the cross is completely intentional. He is in control. He could have taken a different route, but he endured all of that suffering and now even gives up his life out of love for you, his people. And so before he gave up his spirit, Jesus declares concerning the atoning work that he has accomplished, that the Father had given him to do, it is finished. It's done. He has suffered. He will die. The work of atonement effective for the sins of all of those chosen by God for eternal life, sufficient for the whole world, is done. Accomplished. It is finished. Brothers and sisters, let those words ring in your heart today and every single day of your life. It is finished. The work of atoning for sins. All that is necessary for you to be freed from the guilt and sin that separate you from God all that, is, that needs to be done in order to restore you to your heavenly Father, to His loving joy, to His gracious presence, is done. It is finished. It's done. It's accomplished for you. You don't need to do it. You cannot do it. You cannot work harder to earn God's pleasure. You cannot do anything to earn God's commendation. You ought not to suffer and think that this is punishment from God or that I am enduring this in order to merit God's favor. All that is necessary to remove the barrier that exists between you and eternal life in the presence of your Heavenly Father has been accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. You cannot atone for your sins. You need not atone for your sins 
And you need not demand that anyone else atone for their sins either. The work of atonement is done by the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is finished. And having proclaimed the glorious gospel of salvation through himself, our Lord Jesus Christ gave up his life and he died. In carrying out this act, Jesus Christ completely changed everything for us. In Jesus' work being completed, he fills suffering and death with the glory of God. It's striking when you think about it, but in John 17, Jesus had said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And so suffering and death for us is not atonement because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ entered into that experience of suffering and death and he has made atonement. It is finished. And so through his work, Jesus Christ has transformed the experience of suffering and death for the children of God. He has completely transformed it for the people of God. What would be suffering without cause, what would be punishment for sin, what would be hopelessness, is now a place where the glory of God is revealed. Yes, we still cry out to God in the midst of our suffering, but through the work of Jesus Christ, we move through being strengthened by our faith in Christ and come to the end that David did and believing we see and praise the glory of God as we experience suffering. We, we take the words of David on our lips and we cry out to God and then we see that Jesus Christ has taken those same words on his lips, but when he did it, he conquered sin and he conquered death and he glorified God. He shows to us in our suffering that the work of atonement is complete, that salvation is won. And so our lives are in God's hands. You have eternal life. God will bring you through. This is not punishment. It is finished. There's an account that illustrates this quite nicely. It was recounted to me by a, a brother who was recently in Ottawa for the ARPA events. Member of Parliament Harold Albrecht was at his home on election night watching the election results come in. And those results were good for this MP. He was elected by his constituents for a third consecutive time. It should have been an evening of rejoicing. But as he was preparing to go to a post-election party to celebrate, his wife collapsed into a heap on the floor and died immediately. A night of rejoicing became a morning of weeping. What terrible tragedy. What terrible devastation. 
But yet, in the midst of that suffering and grief, this member of parliament knew that his wife Betty went to be with the Lord Jesus. She had died on election night in their home, but she had already been saved by the suffering and death of her Lord Jesus Christ. And so strengthened through the work of Jesus Christ, Mr. Albrecht has been and continues to be a living witness to the power of the gospel. The testimony of this man's testimony is all over Parliament Hill. The strength that God supplied to him through the work of Jesus Christ has made a deep impact on his fellow MPs and staff, on his constituents, and on many others as well. Jesus Christ transforms suffering and death. And where we experience suffering, grief, pain, discouragement, we look to Jesus Christ and see that His work on the cross has brought us salvation from those very things. And this is the effect that His work had on David as well. In His suffering, He discovers the glory of God. Somehow, in the midst of Psalm 69, His lament turns to praise. In verse 30 of that psalm, he says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. What has happened? Are these the words of someone who is up to their neck in suffering? Whose feet are slipping in the mire of despair? Well, what happened is verse 29. When David expresses, I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, Protect me. Zoom out from David's life and from David's situation. Take a step back and see the whole scope of salvation. And you see that David's sorrow has turned to praise because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the salvation of God in which David finds his hope. Jesus Christ, through his suffering and death, has accomplished the salvation for David and for all who are poor and needy and weak and cry out to God in their distress and rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for sinners. And so the Friday of suffering and death, through that very suffering and death, becomes the Friday of the glory of God. As God reveals His glory on that cross of suffering, humiliation, shame, and death. And as we see the glory of God in the work of Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, today becomes for us Worship Friday. That is why we are gathered here today. That is why we are gathered together on wor- for, to, for worship. Because of what God has accomplished on the cross. See through the Word of God, the work of Jesus, the atoning work complete. See the glory of God on display as He gives up His life. Be moved to praise and glorify the triune God in heaven above for the salvation that has been secured for his people 
it is accomplished. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.